0: Hey this come out a piece and you're listening to focus on metal keep rocking
1: metal. hey metal heads. Scott here. And Richie. And back with another week of Focus on Metal. Just before we actually uh, got on the, the line here and started recording stuff, uh, Richie did just bring up an interesting question about the about the website. And uh, I just figured I'll throw it out while we're, we're all together here. And that is that the, uh, the new site should be up and active. So uh, if uh, for some reason, if you go to focusonmetal.net and nothing's coming up, then uh, you can just shoot an email to uh, shout at focusonmetal.net and uh, I'll see what's going on. But I know it's been working great for me that uh, you go to the old address and it pops you automatically over to the new one. Uh, the other thing you can do if you want is go directly to the new one, which is focusonmetalpod.com. And uh, that is that uh, has been actually kind of the behind-the-scenes website now for uh, – for well over a year just nobody ever really knew it was uh it was out there so uh that's what's that's what's going on with that so uh hopefully you guys will be digging the new site and i've been putting uh more and more things on it as the weeks gone by and um it's been slowly kind of fleshing out but there's uh you know a couple of years worth of shows are already up there all linked and all that good stuff and the metal gallery is back and you know, there's different sections and comment stuff and all kinds of good stuff up there. So uh, again, you can go to focusonmetal.net and that should shove you right over there automatically. And if it doesn't, you can go to focusonmetalpod.com and uh, it should all be there for you. So, anyways, how you doing, man? I'm good. good. Very good. 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 I've been obviously been busy um, web programming.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's... I have no. I had nothing to do with
1: that. I wouldn't even know where to start. Uh, so it's been, uh, yeah, has has has. Uh, there's been little bits of fun within there, but otherwise it's just been uh, hours and hours of uh, just c- correcting things and and reformatting and, and all kinds of crap. But uh, but it's it's there and it, and it's functional and and like I said, I mean we've been really been feeding the iTunes and everything else off of that now since uh, since January of 2020. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, again, you'd know more about that than I would. <laughs> you do all
1: that. Uh, so anyways, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good to get on line with you. It's, uh, it's still weird that uh, we're uh, all uh, quarantined away and crap. But uh, yeah, good to talk to you, man.
2: Oh, we're coming up to episode 500.
1: We are slowly creeping up there. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get someone on. Special. Yeah. And, and get it, I'm getting, at the moment, I'm getting no
1: replies. Ah. Which sucks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, hey, if it 500 goes by, it goes by, right? It's just, we're still, yeah. we're still trekking along. Um, it's just amazing that, uh, that we're still uh, going on, going on this long, especially with, uh, you know, everything that's been going on, even the last, you know, couple of years with both of us. So, uh, yeah. 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 So anyways we, we got uh we got a great guest this week thanks to you Mark Farner which is pretty cool and uh you know I, I kind of forget about all the stuff that you know he had he was originally doing out there with with Grand Funk and um so it was it was cool to hear the interview it was uh it was funny to hear him call you uh brother richie so I laughed yeah. at the time he said that but uh it was uh yeah it, it's uh my my little my little Grand Funk story was that you know at the tail end of their career And, you know, they had new management and all that stuff. And, um, you know, the first go-round that he had with them. And they had put out that single, Some Kind of Wonderful. And I just remembered a gig that we had done back in um, probably the early 90s, Bub out in Billerica. And uh, they had moved from Boston. They moved to a site in Billerica, took over an old club we used to play all the time. And uh, they were having a... Um, a big kind of blue show band was going to come in and do opening night, and they had a uh, their their bus crashed, and uh, so they couldn't do it. So uh, we get this like last minute frantic call from the the club owner who happened to know us from when we when he had the club in Boston, and he goes, "Hey, can you guys do opening night?" And this this you know blue show band was uh, they had a real big biker following, and so we you know we got there and we aren't we weren't really uh, you know kind of the the biker kind of band that was you know looking for that kind of music but uh you know we show up and and it's pretty much that's primarily what the audience was which is totally different than their boston club and there was right up front there was uh this one biker chick and she was definitely drunk off her ass and it was apparently her birthday and the only thing she wanted to hear was some kind of wonderful and basically every time that she was like you know play it we kind of got this like you guys are gonna play it? Are you gonna die? Kind of thing, and I think we must have played that damn song. First of all, it's good that we actually knew it, but we must have played that song at least seven or eight times that night. Every time she decided she wanted to hear it again, it was like, all right. It was almost, and our joke was when after a while, when we kept doing it, we'd go theme from Rawhide. You see, we're on a mission from God, and then we break into it again. But oh yeah, it was it was brutal that night. How many times we played that song? She didn't ask for Freebird, no. Huh? Oh no, she wanted some kind of <laughs> wonderful. That was uh, I I remember there was one where we played I don't know who the hell would have ever hired us to play a wedding cuz we were not a general business band. So we were playing whatever we want and there was the 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 bride's mother who was like, "Yeah, she wanted Freebird." <laughs> but yeah. Oh was, man. Yeah. Anyways, that, that's that's my Grand Funk Railroad story right there. But it was it's really cool to have to have Mark on. Uh, you know, guy's a legend.
2: Mm. I'm not a big, I'm not a massive fan of of Grand Funk. Mm. It was an interesting interview for me because I'm not an uber fan. Sure. I know the hits. Yeah. Uh, that's that's more or less it.
1: Yeah. But I, I think also um, that if you know, if if I think about about your age and stuff too, that that um, their their popularity kind of would have been waning at the time that you really were getting into music. So that's probably also why you have more of, you know, kind of the hits kind of stuff. And probably even, I would guess that like a song like um, I'm Your Captain was probably not even uh, like in your list of grand funk hits either.
2: Mm. Well, I t- I'm nearly sure I asked him when was the last time he played in the UK. Mm. You did, and yeah. he he said it was the year I was born. Exactly, yeah, nineteen seventy-one. <laughs> so they they haven't exactly made it across the pond a lot, right? Which probably, yeah. do, which you, which never helps,
1: right? Yeah, and, and I guess you know if you think about it too, with that is that yeah, it was really kind of like Canada, the U.S. That was more. You know, their their big audience and and following was there and and, kind of like even a lot of bands that were coming out of like the Detroit area and stuff, too, where it was they didn't really have a lot of of following across the pond. It was like that kind of that kind of area. So I think they they fit in with all with that kind of thing. He's a nice guy to talk to, though. Oh, yeah, no, he was a great interview. Definitely a a great interview. And uh, I I enjoyed it. Uh, and again it was it was like really cool to just wow we actually have mark farner on that was uh he's not exactly not exactly metal although you know a lot of the his guitar tone and stuff is definitely something that uh pushed along some of that that kind of uh that heavier sound but yeah it was like i said it was it's it's cool that we kind of you know branch out a little bit and we're not just straight up uh you know just total metal so yeah it's cool
2: yeah well i like to uh Throw something different in every now and
1: again. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, why not? You know, and uh, you know, and also the fact that it's uh, you know a live album too, which is which is kind of you know interesting that uh, he was opting to to put something out like that, uh, you know, a larger format, you know, live project. But you know, you guys went into kind of some detail on the the where's and hows and whys on that, and you know, definitely you'll, you'll hear all about that in the interview. But yeah, definitely, you know, it's uh, I don't know. To me, it it, it is. I guess you know I, I think it's interesting that he's doing that but i you know maybe um you know maybe people are a little bit more amenable to the live album right now cuz you sure as hell can't go to a show to see anything live right now um unless you're in a couple of the states that are opening up
2: hmm. how do you think that's going to go this summer um texas is 100% yeah and then and then you have here in massachusetts they're allowing 12% for the ice hockey and and the baseball. Hmm. I, I don't know how these shed shows are going to happen if that doesn't increase universally across the country.
1: True. Yeah, I, I think it's a very valid point with that, that uh, you're not really seeing even some of the other venues that were trying to do stuff last year. They're not really putting um, you know much out except talking about drive-in shows and things like that. And, I mean, right now, I mean, we're coming up to April. I was really hoping back in you know november december that when we started to get around here we would you know have a little bit more open and um you know i'm just not seeing it you know um, for really for anything yeah yeah
2: all these rescheduled outdoor shows the tours Hmm. I, i don't know how it's going to be financially viable that they can go to one state and then it's full capacity and then the next date on the tour might be thirty percent, and then the next one to be sixty percent, um, because you—if those shows are already sold out, how do you decide who's going to go and who isn't? Do you know what I mean? It's there's so much logistical issues with this. It, the, I think some of the promoters just might just say it's just not even worth doing the, the tour at all.
1: Yeah, I mean it's true, and you just reminded me as you were talking. I was like, oh yeah, I gotta. I gotta go tell the Palladium what I want to do with my Crocus refund. So yeah, because another one that was canceled. So that was kind of pissed me off. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how they're going to be able to do it unless they opt to do um, if it's a tour that allows them to. There's a little more space between dates if they're going to try to do um, you know the multiple nights kind of thing. Um, I think didn't um, didn't the last go round that that Jeff Tate was out didn't he do like multiple nights? I thought.
2: He not only did he do multiple nights; he did multiple shows every day.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. He did, which was
2: well. He did it, but it was like that. That can't be good on his voice. But uh, uh, yeah, but they're small shows. Yes, um, yeah, and he, he's doing a ton of them. He's announcing dates all the time, all across the US. Um, but the bigger shows, the stadium shows. If you if you sell them out unless you have a hundred percent capacity you can't have it can you yeah
1: not really not with not with everything that uh that goes into doing it and all of the the payroll and everything to make it happen and there's got to be uh you know a certain a certain gate you have to get to make it worthwhile to to go there
2: yeah but you're going to piss people off if you can only say only half you can go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you buy four tickets, and what do they say? Only two you can go, and the other two have to stay at home. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't – I think, the, of course, the longer it goes towards the end of the year, it'll probably open up more. But the shows that are in May and June, I, I can't see Massachusetts having a 100% capacity. In the next cup, two or three months, and th- there's there's other states that are going to be like that as well. Like Texas at, at the moment is an anomaly. Mm. They just decided to let everybody in. So you're going to have the opening day for the baseball in two weeks, and they're expecting forty odd thousand. They're going to fill the stadium, and they're allowing twelve percent in Fenway Park, which is like four thousand. Right. Um. It, it's it's interesting that when we had um, Dean Budnick on about the concert ticketing industry, he said to watch the sports that they'll give an indication of what, what the concert concerts are going to be like moving forward. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the sports now, that's it's, it it, it definitely is given an indication of what's going to happen. I think the smaller shows have a, a, a high percentage of happening in some form. I think the bigger the shows are, the less chance a lot of them are gonna happen. You have this stadium tour that's been what rescheduled what twice? There, there's no way they're gonna they're gonna play Fenway Park if there's only like thirty, thirty, forty percent of the people allowed
1: go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they yeah, they won't be able to, to really to make the money for the date, so it might be yeah, either they're, you know, they're not going to do it because they've got the same thing across almost every other place they're going to play and you know, I didn't look at all the dates on that tour to see, you know, everywhere they're playing because obviously um, you know, if you get something that's the size of Gillette, it's going to hold a lot more people even at like a 12% capacity than a Fenway will, you know. Um, mm. and, you know, so you can still get your production in there and you can still do that. But other, but you know, the, other ones, yeah, they, they're just not going to be able to, to to put enough butts in seats.
2: But with something like that, the, the days off are the days that they don't make any money. Mm-hmm. So the more the more days off you have, the less money you make. And if they start doing spot dates here and there, because the the ones that are joining the dots up are are being cancelled, it's really going to make that tour or any tour, hard to finish. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to know ahead of time if they're definitely going to be able to do it all. Like, they have all the dates rescheduled now for, I think it's is it July or August. Yeah, And they can't just announce that, oh yeah, the ones in Texas are definitely going ahead and the other ones we don't know yet. They're either going to, have to do them all, or they're not going to do them at all. I, this is just my opinion.
1: No, I would. I actually would agree with you on that. That it, it is probably going to be um, an all or nothing, and a lot of it for for what you just said, which is that you need to have a continuity of dates through there, and in order to make it work. Hmm. You know, and there's and, a lot of other things that go in behind that too, because you you know you've got a line up trucking companies, you've got to get insurance riders in place. There's a lot of stuff that has to go for a large tour like that, that you just can't last minute you're off and running.
2: Mm. And if they're playing baseball stadiums, you can't all of a sudden start adding extra shows in because the teams are going to be playing in the stadiums. The whole reason in doing it like this is that the team is probably on the road. You can get in there and do your show, mm-hmm. and then get out, and the team comes back and they keep playing because it is their stadium. Right. But as far as live shows go, now I haven't gone to a live show in a year. Mm. I think the Jeff Tate show was last year, and unpopular opinion, I haven't really missed them. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I've, I've gone to. an arena show in probably two or three years Hmm. Um, a stadium show it's probably been a little bit longer and it's not that I don't love live shows I I, I, I love seeing a great band live I've tended in the last few years to go see the smaller intimate shows
1: Uh
2: in venues that I know the sound is good Uh, they're not overpriced and what I'm what i what I'm finding as well, over the years, is I'm seeing the same bands come through on the same packages, who can't perform the songs the way they used to without help, and not all the members are on on the stage that I I want to see anyway. Mm. Um, it like these packages that were coming through all the time, and I'm not knocking the bands because I love them, but how many Wing or Firehouse and Docking Packages or Bullet Boys or, you know know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Those sort of packages. They they come through all the time. They just change one or two of the bands in it, and then they come back through again. And all the bands play for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, and they play the same songs over and over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, but for Um, some of those packages, the people that are going to those, they they aren't the deep, deep cut audience either you know so yeah. th- you know what i mean they're they're not they're not looking for that oddball song um you know there's obviously bands like maiden and stuff where you know people love the deep cut type of a thing but you know when you talk about you know a band like foreigner they're they're really you know not going to pull out some deep cut off, off of you know double vision or something that people have never really heard on the radio that's not the that's not the audience that's that's there. They're literally there only to, to hear the hits, you know, and, and for I think for a lot of people, too, it's kind of like that's that might even be the one show that they go to, you know, the entire year as well. But that that's that's why I'm good
2: to not see shows for a while, to take a break from it. Hmm. I know when I when the shows come back and I go. They're probably going to play the same. No, actually, not probably. They're definitely going to play. The same songs that they were playing before, mm-hmm. but at least I've had a break from it. That I might actually get some enjoyment out of it now, rather than rolling my eyes and going, "Oh Jesus, love bites for the twelfth time," <laughs> or, or hysteria for the twelfth time. Like I hear, I hear Leopard do "Wasted," or I hear him doing "Let It Go," or another hit and run. That's when I
1: get excited. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm when also going though because it's it's to me it's a night out. You know, yeah. I mean, actually, you know, by coincidence this morning, um, you know, my girlfriend texted me and she, she reminded me cause she got the little, the little memory thing came up this morning that, you know, that last year tonight we were at, uh, at Judas Priest in Saxon or, or not nice. last year, but the year before, whatever it was, but you know, it was, and sh- she's missing, you know, just going to shows because we just end up just having a, a great night out, you know, enjoy the music and stuff, have a great time, enjoy being with each other. And it's, and it's just a great night out. So whether we're, you know, so, you know, it it may not be that, uh, you know, we want to go see like, you know, leopard, you know, every single year or, or Tesla, which is like her favorite band ever. Um, but it's still, you know, still enjoy it. And it's, it's like, it's a, it's a time to get out. And, and like I said, just, just relax and, and, and have a good time. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm definitely missing, you know, not going to
2: Mm. Now, again, I love a good show, and I'm going to be excited when they come back. But as time went on during this COVID thing, I thought I'd miss the shows a lot more than I actually have. Mm. And it it got to the stage ar- around Christmas time where I didn't miss them at all. Mm. I did not n- n- not not one part of me said, you know what, I'd love to see a live show, and I'm, not one part of me actually thought that. Mm. And I had all these people around me on Facebook and. They can say whatever they want to me. This is just my opinion. And they were all dying to see live shows. And I I just thought to myself, no, I'm, I'm good. I'll wait till they come back. I'm, I'm in no rush. We've, I've spoken to you about this before. I had no money invested in tickets. Mm-hmm. Zero dollars. $0. You did. Yep. So you've been, you know, getting these, pinging these emails to you. Oh, it's postponed again or canceled. I haven't had to deal with any of that crap.
1: Yeah, but you also you 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 approach like the concert and stuff a little bit differently too than than I do. Where a lot of times you were, um, it's like a last minute decision, you know, day before day of show to to go to the show too. So you typically wouldn't have the investment in that where you know, I'm, I'm buying it typically when it goes on sale, I'm trying to get like the best possible seat that I can get for us and, you know, and all that. So it's, so we kind of approach it, uh, you know, a, a little bit differently to do that. And, and it's also a, you know, there's a certain amount of, of, I just can't get a ticket like the same day for a show for my girlfriend and I because, well, now there's, you know, child care to arrange for it. And it's just like, it doesn't come together, but you know, we have it further out, then, then, you know, we can do that. So it's, uh, yeah, we just kind of, we kind of approach it a little bit differently when it comes to, to actually getting tickets.
2: Mm. And I think you jump at the the big outdoor shows a lot quicker than I would. I, mm-hmm. I'm more into, I'm more into seeing one or two bands, maybe a main band with a s that I really know with a support act. Cause I know the main band is going to play for at least an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And, I'll get more enjoyment out of seeing that than I would seeing them play for an hour because I might get one or two deep cuts mm. um, that I wouldn't get normally. But a lot of the bands that I love, I've seen them all over the years. And at this stage, it's it's been multiple times. When I'm living here 10 years now, and the first year I came here, I think I went to 17 shows mm-hmm. and there were certain bands I was really really excited to see and some of them I saw twice over the same weekend because I'd never seen them live mm. and and I'd I'd see them once or twice after that but I'm good now with a lot of them you know the excitement was there I was like oh wow I've been waiting 20 or 25 years to see this band. They never played in Ireland. I moved over here. I'm going to see them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Te- Tesla was one of them. I think Winger was one of them. Striper was one of them. Yeah. I- I've, s- I've seen all of them now multiple times. And they're all really good lives still, but I'm not going to go out of my way now to see, see them anymore.
1: Yeah. But I think, you know, and, and I might be totally off base on this, but I, I just know from my own experience too, that, that, um, you know, when, when my kids were like the same ages as your kids, I wasn't going out to a lot of live shows. You know, if I if I was working them, that was one thing, or if if my band was out playing, that was another thing. But I didn't actually go to a lot of other, you know, big concerts in that time period when my when my kids are the same age as yours. And and I think that um I think even like I think I remember the same thing with Jay too, that he pretty much didn't do any of that around that time frame either. And I think, I think a lot of people do that just, there's a, a reprioritization about things, um, whether you think about it or not. And um, you just, it just, you look at it differently. So I don't know, just my take.
2: Mm. And I was thinking as well over the year, the la- when is the last show that I saw where the band floored me, like absolutely blew me away. And the, the, the last band that actually did that for me was Night Ranger about three years ago.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, and I've seen shows since then and I've really enjoyed shows, but none of them have like made me go home saying, wow, that was like one of the best shows I've ever seen.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I saw the Night Ranger was it was it twenty nineteen around this time of year, but it was like a it was that freezing cold blast we had that came through like in April, and they were like, What the hell happened? It was fine yesterday, and we're freezing tonight and we were we were literally ordering hot cocoa instead of beer because we were freezing and that was <laughs> and that was with you know with Sammy Hagar and everything, and they put on it was a it was a really, really awesome show, and you know just people showing up to play with them and stuff. I thought that was a really good. That was a really good show, a lot of ad libbing in there and stuff. And um I think another one that you and I went to that was that was a really solid um as far as the music and everything was concerned and the band is concerned, and that was um the Glenn Hughes show we went to. I mean, if you just ignore the the idiots that with their cell phones around us, that was actually a really damn good show.
2: Mm, that was a good show. And he I saw him do the Deep Purple show about a year and a half ago and he still has it. Mm. He, put, he puts on, he puts on a good show. Actually, the, the dead daisies now would be one band that I'd love to see live, but who knows who <laughs> was playing with them uh, but when they come around again. That's the problem with that band. Yeah. But the bands are going to come back. I think a couple of weeks ago, the, the, I think it was wing or bullet boys and firehouse did a couple of shows somewhere. Um, the small shows are going to come back. And the minute, The market opens up. Every fucking band is going to want to play. The market is just going to be oversaturated. It's going to be absolutely crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's going to be as as nuts as you think it's going to be, though. Just at least in this area, if you look at the number of venues, because I mean, they may all want to play, but um, I don't think that everybody is going to be going you know, apeshit buying tickets either. I think that, that if you have so many bands, you, you actually will get that kind of, yeah, I don't feel like seeing a concert right now. Kind of a thing that you're going to get some blowback.
2: Well, if I, if I'm a consumer and I know all these gigs are going to happen. And the way you got and just say you got burned on a couple of them in the last year that they got canceled or they got postponed and, I think, so are they all offering refunds? I don't know whether they all are. Um, any
1: any of the ones that were, uh, so far, that were cancelled at the Palladium, uh, they've offered refunds. They've either offered refunds, you can, um, if you want, donate your ticket price to the employees, or you can get a voucher for 150% of your ticket price to the venue. Okay. Okay, but... You're probably
2: well. This is my opinion. What I'd do, I'd wait. I'd wait until nearly the day of the show or the day before, because if they announce the show and they're going to dump the tickets,
1: what do you mean? Wait till the day of the show.
2: If they announce the show and I like the band, oh, I got gotcha. you. And I'm just going to keep an eye on and see how many how it's selling. Mm-hmm. And if pe- people might people might be hesitant to start forking out more money for shows because they don't know whether it's going to happen or not. and just wait until the day of the show or the
1: day before. Yeah. I, I, I mean, well, I just well, look at it though, because I I kind of have preferred places where I like to sit and see a show at various venues. So that's a lot of times why, um, you know, like at the Palladium, I, I know where I want to sit. And so I try to, you know, snag those immediately because, um, those are just kind of like, to me, those are some of the best, the best places to be. The same thing with like the Orpheum in Boston. There's certain places in the Orpheum that, if if the tickets go on sale, that's where I'm trying to get those tickets. Um, it might not necessarily be, you know, like front row in the middle or whatever, but, but there's spots on the in the Orpheum. Same thing. I like to sit at, and so there's a lot of venues where I'm kind of like, yeah, I know where I wanna where I want to go. So oh. that's you know, and if I wait, there's a good chance that you know. Those have already been scoffed up.
2: You're more picky than me because you want to have a close-up of what you know what year the guitar the guy is playing is and all that sort of. What pedal is he using and all that sort of stuff.
1: Well, some of that stuff, yeah, but it's also like you know, like at the Palladium, I like that mezzanine level and yeah. I like the first row of the mezzanine level because you one. The seats are comfy as hell. They got the high back leather seats, right? That recline, which are awesome. And then you've got nobody in front of you. So you're not worrying about looking at, you know, trying to look by somebody while they're, you know, got their cell phone in the damn air in front of your face or whatever else. It's just you get a nice clean line of sight to everybody on stage the whole time. And and I like it. Okay. That. Okay. All right. So, anyways, we're kind of we've been beating and berating the live concert industry but why don't we uh, why don't we let uh, Mark Farner talk a little bit about uh, about his live album and why he made it and all that good stuff uh, because ultimately uh, that's why people come is to listen to uh, not just us chat but uh, also some of the some of the great artists that are out there. So uh, what do you say we run your chat with uh, Mark Farner? Yeah, sure. Awesome. let's do it. Hi this is Mark. Hey Marcus Richie here for the interview.
0: Yeah Richie, how are you doing? Oh okay uh,
3: so where are you based?
0: I'm in Michigan.
3: Okay. Uh, just outside of Boston. All right. Uh, I'm originally from Ireland.
0: All right. Great.
3: Yeah. Have you ever played in Ireland?
0: No. Okay. I, I've always wanted to. And my my guitar tech is Irish, and, and he's been to Ireland. He's t- told me about it, and uh, and we want to go together, him and his wife, and me and my wife want to just take a trip and visit.
3: Mm-hmm. The UK is probably the closest you've gotten then? Yes. Okay. When is the last time you played in the UK?
0: I think it was 1971.
3: <laughs> wow. That, that's, the, that's the year I was born, and I'm 50 this year. <laughs> 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 so I have you on to talk about the From Chile With Love DVD that's coming out. Uh, originally, it was supposed to come out a couple of months ago. Was it frustrating that it's been delayed?
0: Man, it has been so frustrating uh, because I get on and I'm, I'm doing interviews with people, I'm telling them what date it's going to be released and then it turns out oh, somebody did something or something happened and, and I'm going, what? I, this can't be happening to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's, yeah. But this time it's in full swing, it's coming out April 6th and uh, it's legitimate this is the one mm. now
3: live albums in general they, they probably don't have the same impact they did from years ago because you got youtube now and 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 you know all the all this just the other places you can you can watch live al- live videos and there's a, a lot of bands do release a lot of live records now to do it after every album um what do you think now about the relevancy of a live album now? Do you still think it has any sort of impact at all? Or, or how do you feel about all that?
0: Yes, I believe because you're not going to uh, get the flow of it unless you get the, the DVD and the energy. As we know, the, the music uh, is, is what the catalyst of our community you know, it's it's when we go to see a concert, man. It's it's a it's an evening. We we don't plan on just seeing one song or one you know one tune. We're going to go there and we're going to get involved, and it's going to play out. And I believe it's in the playing out and the escalating of the emotional uh, waves that overcome the stage uh, in this. DVD from Chile with Love, it is very apparent because every microphone was picking up the, the volume of the audience and as they took, took part of and, and became part of the song. And that's what we look for in live uh, concerts is for interaction with the crowd and you get a good crowd and they want to rock man. I mean, you, they can really, really push the band and, uh, and that's what will make a live DVD or live concert.
3: Mm. How crazy are the fans down in South America?
0: They are wonderful. They are just, uh, you know, I had people come to me, uh, Brother Richie, and they said they learned how to speak English so they could understand what my song was saying to them. And that is, man, that is like, that is great for me. It's what a feather in the cap. And for me to have written something that they could hear, they didn't understand the lyrics, but there was something about the music. So, you know, that kind of connection uh, with the fans, uh, and I am who my songs say I am to these people. So when I come out on that stage, I'm that guy, and uh, and they let me know it. They love it, and uh, and it, they're crazy great fans. They are just, you know, I'm crazy about them, and they're crazy about me. Mm.
3: Mark, what made you record in Chile? Because it probably would have been easier to you, for you to record in the U.S.
0: Well, it it probably would have, but I uh, got an offer because we we were doing a tour, not just of uh, Chile, but uh, Peru and. And uh, went to, where else did we go? <laughs> we went to, uh, oh God, I can't even remember the name of that. We did four t- uh, different countries down there, but uh, it was in a fast pace, you know. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, the promoter from Santiago, Carlos Pastin, called my manager and he said, there is, a movie company here in Santiago that wants to shoot your concert. They're big fans of yours, and they would do it uh, very inexpensively just to get the exposure. And they said they would do like an eight-camera shoot. And and, um, so Abby, my manager, you know, presented it to me, he says, you want to do this? He says, man, he says, we could not do this in the United States this cheap. He says, I just want you to know that. And I told Abby, I said, listen, dude, the the way that fans express their love for me down there, what better place could there be than Santiago uh, to do something like this? So we went for it. We met the crew. They were all very, very humble, nice people and uh, very creative, and we got along great, and I think they did a fantastic job.
1: Mm.
3: Mark, were you a little bit more nervous doing this show because you knew the cameras were on you?
0: Well, no, because the cameras have been on me in the past, but this, this show, Richie, I didn't run over not even one cameraman. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and and all the other shows. <laughs> I mean, at least you run into them, and, you know, some get knocked on their ass, but, uh, you know, at least you run into somebody it just, because, you know, they're not used to a guy like me running. I mean, I just bust out running. I'm going. And if they were standing there in the way in the dark, I, you know, sorry, but that that's my stage. Bam.
3: Do you still get nervous before shows?
0: Yes. I, I don't know why. I mean, uh, I think it's good, though, because m- my gut would be like twisted and it's not putting out acid or anything. It's just like in anticipation. I'm like, the, I'm busting out of the chute. I'm going to ride this bull. <laughs>
3: mm. <laughs> you know? One of the things, Mark, I've been asking all the singers I have on on the show, what's the sickest you've ever done a show and been able to pull it off?
0: I was at uh, Winter Garden in uh, San Francisco. We were playing up there with it's in the early days and and Janice Joplin came to the show to see us, and we had been playing on several bills together, you know, doing festival dates and what have you. And any time we did a bill together, Janice and I would hang out together. We weren't like boyfriend, girlfriend, friends, but we were friends. We were musician friends. and She was a great friend of mine. And uh, I got sick on stage. I don't know where the hell it came from, but something hit me just before the the, uh, drum solo, and I had to... I told the uh, guitar tech in back of the amp stack, I said, dude, man, I have got a throw up it's coming it's coming he said you know head out he grabbed my axe from me and I went back to the dressing room while the drum solo was going on and I really oh man it was like uh it was bad it was really really bad and I could hear that the drum solo was going to come to an end so I run back out put my guitar on and i finish that song i go to the drummer i said dude i am sick i can't play another song and just as i'm saying that the ralph our our guitar
1: tech did anyone else catch that i'm talking how much more rock and roll can this be we're talking a on the stage rock and roll story about uh, unbelievable vomit and the guitar tech with the barf bucket just happens to be named ralph
0: Coming around the corner of the amp, and he had one of those, uh, like a big gulp or whatever, big cup in his hand, (laughs) just in case, and it's a good thing he had it, because that would have been all over the drummer, because it came out of me right then. And then the the audience knew. They had the witness of it. (laughs) Too bad that they had to see that, but... And then as I'm coming off the stage, Janice... She put her arm around me, honey, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I just feel terrible. I don't know what the hell happened. I am sick. And she says, oh, I got something that'll cure you. And she reaches down into her bag and this great big paisley print bag that she carried over her shoulder. Uh, she had a lot of wonderful things in there. But what she... Which she thought was going to straighten me out was a bottle of Ripple wine. And, and as soon as I saw the label, I almost threw up again. And I said, no, I don't need that shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, so, Mark, you've toured all over the world many, many times. Are there any particular countries that you never toured that you would have loved to have done in the past?
0: Yeah. I would love to to do Ireland. I okay. would love to, I would love to do some of the you know uh, Australia, New Zealand, um, some of the English speaking countries that uh, that would understand my songs. And I would like to play, go back and play, do some. Uh, I played in uh, Taiwan, Taipei, Taiwan, and I played in. the uh, you know, Singapore, and, and I've, I've played in Hong Kong and and uh, Japan, that part of the world. But uh, I'd like to go to Malaysia and play.
3: Okay. What about Russia? Have you, have you toured much of Russia?
0: I've been to Russia twice. Uh, I love Russia. I was there a year before last, and I did the Salt Palace in St. Petersburg. It was great.
3: Nice. Nice. So, Mark... One of, another question I asked all the guitarists because, of course, you're the guitarist as well. How many guitars do you have in your house?
0: Well, I'm thinking uh, nearly twenty.
3: Okay. What's the oldest one you have? Uh,
0: it would be a Burns twelve uh, stringer. Okay. From uh, yeah, from the Sixties.
3: Okay, and how often do you play? Every day. You play every day, just to play, or do you practice, or both?
0: I practice. I I have to. I got to keep it up. If you don't use it, you lose it. So I keep it up, even though I haven't been on the stage for all these months, brother, and I'm chomping at the bit. I still have to practice. I still have to push myself. I still have to keep my wind up. Uh, There's so many things for. Us guys, once we start to age like the fine wine, eh? <laughs> mm. Yeah, the stretch—you know—stretching exercises that I do for my fingers, my arms, and and everything really helps. It really helps, and so uh, yeah, I'm I'm active in it. Yeah, every day.
3: Um, you hear stories over the years, certain musicians would say that the song wrote itself. Has that ever happened to you? Like, have you ever woken up and the song is practically written?
0: Well, yeah, the song Closer to Home, I'm Your Captain, um, I I said my prayers one night, and I I asked God to give me a song. I put a little PS on the end of my prayer, and I said, would you please give me a song that would reach and touch the hearts of people you want to get to? And I got up in the middle of the night, I wrote words, but it was... I was in a state of consciousness between sleep and awake, and it was very touchy it's a fragile place to be in but the words started coming out, and I just didn't pay them any attention i just I just wrote as they they kept coming out and as soon as I felt like I was done, I just put the thing down, laid back down in bed, and I went to sleep and then when I got up in the morning, I went out and made my coffee and I'm looking at the horses out in the pasture, and I grab my acoustic guitar and I start playing. Ba-bop, 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 I, I thought, "Wow, that's a pretty cool lick now. What is that?" And then I grabbed this inversion of a C chord that I had never hit prior, but when it when I hit it, it chimed. There was certain uh, notes, certain harmonics that were. Coming out, and I thought, "Wow, is that ever a bad ass chord?" And I'm looking at it because I don't want to forget it. And I start playing, and I go, "Oh, wait a minute! Maybe those words in the other room are actually a song." So I I go and grab the song, put it on the table, and I start playing. And I sang. I just looked at the words and sang it. And I wrote that song uh, right there. It was like instantaneous. I had the music, I had the words. It just came. And Uh, when I took it to rehearsal that day, both uh, the drummer and bass player said, that song's a hit, Mark.
3: Nice, nice.
0: They were right.
3: Yeah. So is it always the music first and then the lyrics for you, or can it be either or?
0: It could be either or. um, Like that one, it was, you know, lyrics first. But... uh, A lot of my songs came just from a jam. I'd I'd start playing a guitar jam. And uh, when we first got together, the three of us were at the Flint Federation of Musicians at the Union Hall for uh, Flint, Michigan. and, uh, And they'd say, well... What is, what is that? What are you working on there? And I said, well, I just <clears throat> I just started getting it. It was like uh, I just started feeling this. And they said, well, we'll go down to McDonald's or, you know, we'll go down to Burger King or someplace and grab some food. And uh, we'll take our time. And maybe you'll have that thing put together time we get. And every time they get back, I'd have at least one song, sometimes two. And it, that's how it happened. And that's how the first album was written. And that's uh, that's how a lot of songs were written in the early days just on the fly you know just from my experience of being on the road i'd never been in an airplane you know before i was 20 years old and then i get up in the air and i'm looking down i'm going man the things are different from up here
3: No, <laughs> <laughs> no. back then in the 70s a lot of bands did have to have an album out a year some bands are two a year and you were the main songwriter um did you get writer's block? Like, did you feel the pressure that was always on you to come up with songs?
0: No, I didn't, and I thank God I didn't. I never really stopped to think about that or even know about it. It just—it was coming uh, so easily. Uh, I just thought everybody wrote songs like this. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I got to—I got to ask you a question. Now it might—it's probably going to be hard to answer, but I—I got to ask it anyway. What song have you written that you're most proud of?
0: That I'm most proud of? Yep. It would be I'm Your Captain, Closer to Home.
3: Okay. Okay. And what about, what do you think is your most underrated song?
0: Underrated? um, I Come Tumbling.
3: Okay. Why do you think it's underrated?
0: Well, it wasn't released as a, a single. Uh, but it should have been. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think that happens a lot with a lot of bands that they'll, they'll pick a song as a single and the record company will just pick something else. And forget. Exactly. That, that, that must have happened a lot to you, did it? Yes,
0: absolutely.
3: Okay. How did you deal with that? Did you just shrug your shoulders and say, oh, so be it? Uh,
0: until we knew that we could just stand up and go, no, we're putting this out. This is this is you know we like to be in harmony with the record company of course because you get a lot of cooperation but we're not indebted to them to um to pick the song we if it's if we feel strongly about something we just we better stand up and make our our safe
3: mm. now the musicians you have in your band now mark is there different ways you find out about them to maybe get you to play in your band um Is it word of mouth? Is it in the press? Is it other musicians telling you, oh, this guy's really good, he might suit you? Is it all of that?
0: Well, in my band in particular, I, back in, I'm trying to think of what year it was, 90, was it 98? or No, no, it was uh, maybe 88. God, I'm trying to think of when that was. Huh. Uh, we had a re- reunion tour and we were the bill. It was in Montgomery, Alabama, and the bill was James Brown, war and grand funk. And it was a street festival. And the, I'm talking, it was packed. There was, a, there was tens of thousands of people in the streets. So it was great. But uh before, before the show, I went to a, a restaurant across the street from the uh, hotel that we had just pulled into, and I saw this guy. He was coming kind of across the parking lot to me. Then he says my name, and I look, and I didn't know him uh, from just looking at him. But he said that he knew my name, so I, I'm thinking, who is this guy? And come to find out, as one of James Brown's drummers, and he was a big fan. And he started telling me about it. And I, I went into the restaurant where him and his dad was sitting there. And I had uh, breakfast with those guys. But then I saw him play <clears throat> that night with James Brown. And Hubert Crawford is the drummer in my band. And, and Hubert is a uh, rock funk monster. Uh-huh. He sings and uh, and he holds the beat down. I mean, he holds that stage down. Together, and uh, he's been playing with me for a long time. I mean, for almost twenty years now. And my my keyboard player, I he's from Detroit, and I did some shows with Alto Reed. God rest his soul. But uh, he was a, the uh, horn player for Bob Seeger's band. Alto was and. and this was his keyboard player and we go out with Dave Mason or Rick Derringer, Felix Cavalier and myself and do and do some of these special shows for events. Um and he was you know, he was doing his part and playing it good. And so uh I asked him if he'd wanna join my band and he'd yeah he'd flat ass yeah man let's do this so i got him and then when i was doing the alice cooper uh breadcrumb sessions down here in detroit at the uh at the rust belt studios there was the bass player that that was used on that session was paul randolph and paul randolph i'd never heard of him before uh but uh You know, we had Wayne Kramer from the MC5 was on that session and Johnny B, Johnny Bedanjic from uh, the Detroit Wheels and myself and, of course, Allison, the Cooper and and Bob Bob Ezrin, (laughs) a nice tight group. But when we heard this bass player, I thought, man, this guy could really play. And then when we started doing the overdubs of the background vocals for this Breadcrumbs EP that we're doing, that was last year with Alice Cooper. But uh, I I heard him sing, and I thought, wow, this guy can sing. And he's like 6'3 or 4", and I'm down here at like 5'7", and I look up there and I'm thinking, how does that high voice come out of that great big guy? <laughs> <laughs> And so I asked him if he'd want to play because he's a, a Detroiter and he's in my state. It just made all kind of sense for me. And he, he accepted it and he's a great addition to the band.
3: Mm. Mark, how important is it now, the, the hangability factor, that the, the playing of these guys is a given. They're all great musicians, but is it really important for you now that you're able to hang with these guys, that you get on with them personal, pers- personality-wise?
0: Yes, absolutely. It is It is essential. I have done uh, gigs where there's a core band, and then each one of the uh, you know, five different talents will be out with a core band. Each one of us go up there, and we'll do five songs with the same core band, but it's never like being with your own band where they can read you like a book, and they know... That you just screwed up, and they're going to have to screw up to keep up with you. <laughs> yeah, you know, to keep playing music. Uh, that's the kind of guys, uh, and that's the kind of music I like playing. When when people are we've been with each other so long that we just absolutely know the next note.
3: Yeah, would you consider yourself a perfectionist when it comes to playing the old songs? Like, do you want these musicians to? have their own personality into it, or do you want them played exactly as they are on the record?
0: Exactly as the record. That's it. That's my goal is to reproduce what the people have heard in the grooves.
3: Okay. Okay. I want to ask you, Mark, before I leave you go, Ringo's All-Stars that you did in the 90s. um, Did Ringo call you himself to ask you to, to do that?
0: No. Actually, it was David Fishoff. Who did uh, some concerts that I was involved with out in the Midwest? We called it the Arctic Wasteland Tour. <laughs> it was during the winter months, but uh, David was doing some of these, uh, you know, all-star shows, and he he got a hold of me saying, you know, I'm doing this, putting together a all-star band. For Ringo, would you like to go? And I and I thought, well, yeah, man, I would love to. Are you kidding me? But then I got a call from Ringo the next day, and he called me from Monaco, and just to chat and welcome me into the band, and uh, it was great, man. I mean, we you know we had a couple of weeks rehearsal in Vancouver, and then we took off and went to Japan. But uh, if for me to play with a beetle like that, you know, everybody. Uh, not everybody but for for Ringo he is a hard person to disguise so he's consequently he's recognized at you know every turn of everybody recognizes he could put a ball cap and sunglasses on he looks like Ringo with a ball cap and sunglasses (laughs) he just can't disguise himself so he was constantly uh, pestered by people wanting autographs and wanting to you know and he went on YouTube even and said uh, you know a few things and said he was not ever going to sign anything ever again don't send it to me because I will throw it in the trash I'm not sending you know he really went uh, went through it And now I see after being with him, you know, that people just bother him all the time. It doesn't matter if if he's eating or if he's uh, up in first class sitting there and we're on our way to Japan. People come up there and and ask him for autographs while he's sitting there as a passenger on the airplane. Uh, Not cool for him. So he he really got, you know, he he got a case of it and uh, put that message out on YouTube. So when we were in Tokyo and we were doing the uh, press conference after we first arrived there, Ringo was uh, sitting in the middle of the table, but we were up on a podium there uh, and the press corps came in and they were asking us questions and Ringo sat in the middle of the table and the band sat down both sides of him and it was kind of like the Last Supper, <laughs> you know, with Ringo in the middle. Uh And this young gal came up and she said, I would like to ask Mr. Farner a question. So I stand up to answer her question. And she says, what is it like playing with Beetle? And I said, I want to tell you something, honey. Ringo puts his pants on one leg at a time, just like I do and every other man in this room. And Ringo stands up, thank you, brother. And he comes over and he puts a big hug on me. Thank you, thank you. you." Because I recognized him as just being a man. And uh, I think more than anything else, that's really what he wants to be known as just a, a guy that you could go talk to, or, you know, he's just a guy.
3: Mm. I want to ask you, Mark, about the rehearsals for that. Um, getting in a room with all these other musicians, uh, how did that feel like the first time you played together?
0: Well, it felt wonderful. I was very. Uh, I really had a lot of anticipation for this, you know. As I was very psyched up for it. And then having Randy Bachman showing me the chords because he is a unique player. He he comes up with different kind of chords and he's showing me these chords. He says this is the power G and he shows me that, wow, you know, just and I'm going, "Oh man, yeah, I got it. That's great. That's cool." And how did you make that other chord? And he so he makes the chord. And and we learned from each other, you know, it was a very uh, good and uh, profitable tour because we all learned from each other and we had the ultimate respect. And that is key. That is essential to have a great tour is that everyone respects the other person.
3: Mm. Now all the other musicians would have had a storied career up to that point. Did you go in with questions that you wanted to ask them but you were kind of afraid because everyone else might have asked them the same question over the years? Like you bring up Ringo there that everybody wanted to talk about the Beatles. Like you must yeah. have you must have had stuff you wanted to ask Ringo about the Beatles that maybe you didn't ask him about. Would that be fair enough?
0: Yes. Absolutely.
3: Okay. Yeah.
0: And okay. and that was that was why too, because I knew that, you know, he just he wanted to be just Ringo. <laughs> you know, just himself.
3: Yeah. What about John Entwistle? Did you get to hang with him a lot?
0: Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I hung quite a bit with John. Okay. he's a, a great guy. And uh he was he was just always, you know, like we'd go back to the, the hotel and I would head on down to the to the bar because that's where I would find my friends <laughs> and we're after the show having some, uh, Remy Martin, I think he was drinking, uh, but, uh, always sit there and, and talk old times and stories. And, uh, and John, you know, he was so, it just as deaf as a post and, and he talked. So lightly, like I kept like leaning into him, trying to hear what he was saying. I'm thinking, this guy's deaf. He needs to speak up. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, I just a couple of questions before I leave you go, Mark. If someone knows to say to you that you're a nostalgia act, was that would that be something you'd bristle at, or would you embrace that that term? Sure. You don't like yeah, it. Because a lot, of, a lot of people might look at, at, at a term like that and say that, what are you saying, am, am I not making music that's relevant now or as good?
0: <laughs> uh, well, I think sometimes uh, you listen to that music, it makes a hell of a lot more sense than what there is to listen to today.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, no one wants you know now about the music business over the years. If you could go back in time to your, your, and give an, a, one piece of advice to your younger self starting, who was starting out, what would you tell him?
0: Don't be so naive. There are bad guys out there who look for guys like you because you're an easy mark, no pun intended, uh, and people will take advantage of you because you're a nice guy.
3: Hmm. D- did you... Were you naive when it came to the business side of it, when you when you began? Because you hear a lot of these acts that say that they signed bad record deals, they got ripped off, money went missing and all that. Was that something that happened to you and you wised up later on and got more involved in all that?
0: Yeah, Richie. I mean, it was, we were 20 years old, just kids. And I had to have my mother sign the contract because in Michigan, you, had, uh, you know, legal age of a person's 21. So it took her signature to make my uh, signature legal on the contract so not knowing anything about the music business started playing guitar when I was 15 here I am 20 years old signing the first uh, contract for a record deal and we sell uh, our first album sells a million copies I mean it was it was happening uh, really fast
3: Mm, I, I I always wondered how someone that young deals with that fame so quickly always amazes me there's there's certain ways they can deal with it drugs would be one, and you know there's so many different ways you you look back on it now and you think "Mm, maybe i could have handled that a little bit better but at the time you just go with the flow
0: yes right exactly and and you don't know you're learning with every step you know every step you take you're learning this business
3: yeah and you're probably thinking mark as well people are telling you, oh, you're only going to have like three or four year career doing this. Might as well make the most of it now.
0: Yep. That's exactly what we were hearing. You know, you don't know how long this is going to last. You just got to get out there and get it while you can. And we toured extensively and we did albums. I mean, two or three a year sometimes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Final question, Mark. I want to ask you about Alice Cooper. I know you're on the new record he's done. And I'm sure you've known him for years now. I want to know if you ever played golf with him.
0: I never did play golf because uh, I'm not a golfer. I, I do the celebrity golf things, but that's when you're playing uh, best ball and you got somebody in the foursome who can actually play the game, and everybody hits from their best ball. That 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 one guy's best ball, or whoever makes the best shot. And that's the only kind of golf I've ever done. I, I've never just said, oh, I think I'll go out and practice golf. I, I just don't do that. But mm-hmm. I'm good enough just naturally to, to knock it down the, the fairway. I mean, sometimes they'd even take my shot. I'd get that lucky.
3: Nice. So what's the sport for you then?
0: Football, uh, but not not playing it. That, that's watching sport. And my sports are is fishing and hunting.
3: Okay. Okay. I've got a 10-year-old son. He's asking me now to bring him fishing. And I'm like, All right. but I said to him, I've never fished in my life.
0: <laughs> Is that right? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Dad. <laughs> and,
3: and, and, and he's asking me about hunting. And it's the same thing. I've, uh, I've never hunted in my life either.
0: <laughs>
3: You're on your own, kid. <laughs>
0: yes. Send him out here to Uncle Mark. Okay, Mark. Well, <laughs> Do
3: you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you and buy the DVD?
0: Well, it's, a, it's available at markfarner.com, and all the pre sales will be signed by me, of course. And uh, all the pre sales, uh, there's, there's 16 tracks, uh, you know, performance tracks, two bonus videos. And five bonus songs. But one of the bonus videos is a free download available right now at markfarner.com. And it's the rock and roll soul single uh, video from the DVD, Mark Farner's American Band from Chile with Love.
3: Nice. Nice. Well, Mark, I'm going to leave you go. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: Thank you, Brother Richie. God bless you. All nice right. to talk to you, buddy.
3: And have a good rest of the day. And you. All right, Mark.
1: Bye. Mm, bye. There you go, Richie's chat with the legendary Mark Farner. And again, if you want to pick up that DVD, you head up to markfarner.com. And uh, it's a little bit slow to load. So, uh, you know, don't flip out if you're like, what the hell's going on with this? It does take, you know, a few seconds for the site to actually come up. But when you do, there's a dialogue thing right up there. Hey, pre order. You go to there, it brings you over to his merch site, and you can pick up your own copy. And you can also get it autographed by him, too. So, 15 bucks DVD, autographed by a legend. That's uh, that's a pretty good bargain in my book. And there's some other stuff up there as well. If you want to pick up some other Mark Farner music or merch, it's all available for you. Once again, at markfarner.com. And as long as you're up there screwing around on the internet, pre-ordering stuff like a crazy person, do yourself a favor, also go over to Amazon or wherever else you get your DVDs and make sure you pre-order your copy of... Uh, Last week's guest, latest documentary, that's right, Bay Area Godfathers Part 2, directed by none other than our friend of the show, Bob Nelbandian. I mean, come on, we got to continue to support metal, and, and if we can get more great metal docs by us, continuing to support everything that Bob does, I think that's a win in my book. I mean, hell, I could have just downloaded the preview copy and not even bought a copy, but I've already pre-ordered my own copy as well because I don't just ask you guys to support Metal. I do it too. And again, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, if you tried to go to focusonmetal.net lately and it didn't come up, just uh, check again because it's been slowly crawling across the DNS servers across the world to accept the redirect. Uh, But otherwise, he can get out of jail free by just doing focusonmetalpod.com and go right to... Our brand spanking, at least brand spanking everybody else but me, site up there. And uh, enjoy everything that's there, hopefully add in some more stuff as we go along, some commentary and uh, all kinds of other things like that. Maybe even do something where so, uh, where Richie can have his own special rant page. Because as any of you that uh, follow us on Facebook know that uh, Richie's always happy to uh, partake in a little bit of a uh, ranting about uh, whatever particular subject strikes his fancy on a given day and uh, I'll talk to him about it and see whether he wants to uh, do something like that. And I should mention that at the new site with all those latest page links is also a link to our RSS feed. So if you like just getting your Focus on Metal into your RSS feed each and every week you can always use that link to subscribe to our feed. And I'm going to try to, uh, you know, as going forward that each time I do post any of the new shows up there that I have a link to that RSS feed. Also a link over to our iTunes feeds You know, a link to actually, as we were doing before, to download and stream the episode. But I'm also putting on a uh, play bar right there in the post that, you know, you can go right up there. See what's going on with the show and just go ahead and play it right from the site as well. And if that wasn't enough, you can even go ahead and post that out to Twitter or Facebook or wherever else you want to do that as well. Yep, And we're going to even have comments up there. They're uh, available as well. And if you happen to like the post, you can go ahead and click likes as well. So um, we're uh, definitely coming into the modern age with the uh, new Focus on Metal pod.com site. But anyways, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, as always, thank you ever so much for listening to us every goddamn week that we're on. And until we talk to you again next week, have yourselves a great metal week, be safe out there, and as always, remember to... Focus on Metal! Else is insignificant.
3: Here, it's over. Go home.